It's TechBiter Worldwide with Bill Flynn. The latest on programs and policies, helpful hints, and a bit of occasional nonsense. All in more or less plain English. Podcast number 850 for the 22nd of September, 2023. This week, it's a good idea to check out any file you receive as an attachment, even if the file seems to have come from someone you know. Jotty's free malware scan will show the file to more than a dozen antivirus applications so you can make an informed decision. In short circuits, sometimes modifying a computer setting fixes a problem even when you're absolutely certain that the setting cannot have any effect on the problem. I'll tell you about one of those that I encountered recently, and although it couldn't possibly fix the problem, it did. There's a new and improved clock for Windows 11. It restores some features that were present in the Windows 10 clock and adds several new features, including the ability to display multiple clocks on multiple screens. And 20 years ago, only on the website, in 2003, I said your computer's hard disk will fail. That's less likely these days, even for mechanical drives, but complacency is still not your friend. When somebody includes an attachment in an email, even somebody you know, it's wise to check the file out before opening it. Even if your computer has an anti-malware application installed, getting a second or maybe even a third opinion is a good idea. But how do you do that? Jotty's free malware scanner service allows you to scan suspicious files using multiple antivirus programs. Now, of course, it is an exceptionally bad idea to install more than one anti-malware application, but the Jotty malware scan shows the file you have to 14 protective applications. You still have to decide what to do if 13 of the applications say the file is okay, but one says it is not. In most cases, a lopsided score like that means that one vendor is reporting a false positive. No security solution guarantees total protection. Users can submit up to five files at a time, and each file can be up to 250 megabytes in size. The service doesn't ask for your name or your email address, but Jotty does keep files that users send for scanning and then shares them with anti-malware organizations. This is done to improve detection accuracy of anti-malware products, and it seems pretty reasonable to me. When you have a file you'd like to check, just visit the Jotty website and upload the file. There's a link on the TechBiter Worldwide website. You'll have the results in less than a minute. Although it's rare, you might have an antivirus application on your computer from one of the vendors used by Jotty. Yours might report the file is infected. Jotty's could say it's safe. Usually, that means the vendor has found and fixed a false positive indicator, but your local copy hasn't yet been updated. The online result is almost certainly using the latest version of the application. So let's give Jotty a little test drive here. I started with a setup app for Angry IP Scanner. It's an open source cross-platform network scanner that scans IP addresses and ports. It's used by network administrators and people who are just curious about what their computer is connected to. I expected this file to be clean, and indeed it was. 
Next, I tried the installer for CoreTemp64. That's a utility that reports temperatures of processor cores in the computer. The utility is ad-supported, so I expected to see some warnings about that. Half of the tests reported the presence of adware or a potentially unwanted application. The other half reported nothing. Either of those answers is technically correct because some users might want to be warned about ads, but the installer doesn't include any malware. But what happens if you have a truly dangerous file? Well, I certainly didn't want to download an infected file to my computer, but there is a way to trigger an antivirus warning using a file that's totally safe. The ICAR test file is a computer file developed by the European Institute for Computer Antivirus Research and the Computer Antivirus Research Organization. It's a COM file that contains a specific string that antivirus applications are designed to detect and treat as if the file actually was a virus. You'll see the contents of that file on the TechBiter Worldwide website. The test file can be downloaded from the ICAR website. If you download and try to run the COM file, it should display ICAR standard antivirus test file and then halt. That's all that's in the file. It doesn't do anything else. But it's likely that your computer antivirus application will catch the file, block it, and possibly even delete it before you can try uploading it to Johnny. I tried to work around that by creating a test file that contained only the ICAR test string, and I named it icartest.exe. When I tried to upload the file to Jotty, the Windows Defender halted the copy operation and deleted the file. I opened Defender and selected Allow on Device. Then I uploaded the file to Jotty and received the expected response. All 14 scanners reported a problem. All stated explicitly that it was the ICAR test file, and three provided additional information that indeed there is no virus. Possibly the best feature of the Jotty malware scan is that there's nothing to download, nothing to install. Just make a note of the URL as a bookmark in your browser or on the start page for browsers that have that feature. Then you can immediately submit any file for a quick analysis. Jotty competes with Google's Virus Total, which is able to accept files larger than 250 megabytes, and also tests using more than 70 antivirus vendors. Many of those probably are tiny companies you've never heard of, and the process is much slower. Jotty's analysis takes only a few seconds, while you may need to wait more than five minutes for the full report from Virus Total. In a recent test, only 41 of the vendors used by VirusTotal responded, connections for about two dozen timed out, and a few reported that they were unable to process the file. So unless you have time to wait for VirusTotal's response, and you really need to have the file reviewed by those smaller vendors, Jotty is likely to provide accurate results and do so a lot faster. If you find these podcasts useful, and I hope you do, might you consider a donation? There are no ads here, and support from listeners is the sole source of income. It's easy. Just visit the website and click the Donate button near the top of any page. You can make a one-time donation or schedule a repeating donation every month. I thank you. And so does the cat.
In short circuits, that's not a bug, it's a surprising feature. Surprising features are one of the most endearing and enduring aspects of Windows. And recently, I fixed a performance problem by changing a setting that should have had absolutely no effect. I had been experiencing performance problems for several months on both my primary computer and a Microsoft Surface Pro. Overall, the performance was lagging on both computers. The mouse on the desktop system had delayed responses and applications opened very slowly, but I couldn't find any indications of a problem. Nothing was overworking the Core i9 CPU with 8 cores and 16 logical processors or consuming more than about 10% of the system's 64 gigabytes of RAM. There were no viruses, no malware. The Surface Pro was even worse. Sometimes it would stall for nearly a minute. Now, granted, this computer has only an i7 CPU with just four cores and eight logical processors, but what I was seeing simply should not have been happening. The task manager showed no problems, no viruses, no malware, but the computer acted like it had a Pentium 4 processor. As it turned out, the solution involved using the Windows 11 configuration app, msconfig, to specify the number of processors that should be made available to the operating system. Windows 11 and Windows 10 both support multi-core processors and should activate all cores by default. Windows should manage the available CPU cores without any assistance from the user. The Task Manager's Performance tab showed 16 logical processors on the main computer and 8 on the tablet, just as it should have, and they should have all been functioning. However, there is a setting in msconfig where the user can specify the number of processors to be used. After starting msconfig, select the Boot tab, then select Advanced Options. The checkbox for Number of Processors will not be checked, and the drop-down list will display 1. The ability to select the number of processors is intended to be used when diagnosing a problem. Because Windows should activate all processors by default, this setting should be used only when you want to limit the number of processors by selecting a number smaller than the maximum. The action that makes absolutely no sense at all is activating the function, selecting the maximum number of processors, clicking OK, and rebooting the computer. This should have absolutely no effect because when the checkbox is unchecked, Windows automatically allocates all available processor threads for use. In fact, the difference was obvious immediately and nearly astounding. Both computers ran considerably smoother than what I had become accustomed to. It's important for me to note that this configuration should not be needed. I've actually mentioned that a few times now. The differences were well beyond any placebo effect. So if you're seeing a performance problem that seemingly has no solution, making this change won't hurt anything, and it might solve the problem. And there was an unexpected benefit. I wasn't expecting any significant changes in the CPU's operating temperatures, but there was a noticeable difference. The current temperatures, depending on the amount of work the CPU is doing, had typically been in the upper 60s, that's centigrade, but they are now several degrees cooler. The real difference is in the maximum values, though. Previously, every core consistently reported 100 degrees maximum. 
Now, not all of the cores reach that temperature unless the computer is far more stressed. So, to be clear, I still see all the CPUs running at 100 degrees, but not as often or as soon as expected. And this is true for the tablet, too. Operating temperatures are now far lower than they were, and the back of the case no longer becomes uncomfortably hot. This is something that should not be happening, but it is. It might be the result of a bug introduced in some Windows 11 update, but I am fairly certain that the changes are not the result of my overactive imagination. Windows 11 didn't display seconds on the clock in the taskbar initially. That has been added, and some other missing features have been restored. Windows 11 also limits the taskbar to a single row of icons, so the clock doesn't display the name of the day now as it used to. That may eventually be changed, but 11 clock is available now from the Microsoft Store, and it's free. My preference for the clock is to display seconds and to use 24 hours per day to display the day name, and to show the date as four numbers for the year, two numbers for the month, and two numbers for the day. 11 clock accommodates those settings, and quite a bit more. The user can choose from common presets or use their own preferred format, display or hide seconds and day of the week, or even hide everything but the time. The clock's size can be changed, and so can the typeface. Multiple clocks can be added, and they don't always have to be in the lower right corner of the screen. The clock on my computer's primary monitor is blue with black lettering and shows the time, day name, and date. On the secondary monitor, the time is shown in large numbers. The color of the text and the background color should be changeable, but those settings don't always work for me. The text color is adjustable on the main monitor, but the background color settings have no effect at all. Both text and background colors on the second monitor do respond to the settings, so there's some bugs in there. Clicking the clock, double-clicking, and clicking with the middle mouse button can have actions associated with them, but the actions don't always work, and when they do, the results are sometimes unsatisfactory. The default action for clicking the clock displays notifications, but there is an option to copy the date and time. I thought I'd like that. I was expecting something like, oh, maybe 10 September 2023 at 7.12.02. But 11 clock places HTML and CSS code in the buffer instead of plain text. I don't find that very usable or useful. There are settings to control the clock's transparency, whether it remains visible when videos or websites are in full screen mode, whether it remains on screen if you've set the taskbar to hide, and lots of other adjustments and tweaks. That some of the settings don't work quite right is a bit of an annoyance, but it's certainly not a deal breaker. Other currently known issues are on the project's GitHub page. The developer is responsible for the Winget UI, which I mentioned in August. And if you'd like to download 11 Clock, visit the Microsoft Store or GitHub. There are links to all of those, the GitHub page, Winget UI, the Microsoft Store, and GitHub's download page, all on the TechBiter Worldwide website. In 2003, I was thinking about how much time your computer's hard drive had. 
Check out 20 Years Ago on the TechBiter Worldwide website. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide. I'm Bill Blinn. There's more on the website, techbiter.com, and if you have a question or a comment, use the contact link you'll find there. Stop by again next week for another session. <music>